glazer. So, Stefan, how do you deal when shit gets real? <laughs> or just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so... I am Stefan Glazer. I'm an author. I'm a podcast host. I'm a photographer. I do a little bit of everything. I tend to do that because uh, I have a little thing called ADHD and I kind of harness that into everything that I do. You know, when it really comes down to it, I try to find the things that really fire me up, that like fill my cup, that inspire me to actually be creative or expressive so that's that's me in a real nutshell i mean so you're a jack of the creative trades which i personally love uh you know i i think that's that really sums it up pretty well you know i i don't like things that are really i'm not gonna say analytical because i i do like stats and things like that so but that I find creativity and stuff in that. But I, I just don't like things that bore me. And most things that bore me are things that, you know, are kind of just out of the creative wheelhouse. I feel like that's kind of a common trend for creative people because I myself am a creative person and I'm always doing way more than I need to do. The, like you said, podcasting, writing. I'm trying to learn how to draw. Um, I play like, ukulele. Like my husband's like... So what are we learning this week? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I definitely have learned, like, I finally have narrowed it down in life. I think that was the, the hard thing is I did really, I would fixate on so many different things. And I still have my outlets, like painting is still an out, outlet, uh, drawing and doodling. That's still like a nice little, like, um, it's almost like a meditative practice for me. But then, you know, music, people are like, oh, you, 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 you play instruments. I'm like, yeah, I play the drums. I play guitar. I play bass. I know a little bit of piano. Like I know a little bit of everything. They're like, Great. Do you have like a band? Did you publish anything? You... I'm like, no, no, that's, I, I do it for me. I don't do it for people. It's just me. <laughs> well, that makes me feel better. Cause randomly, I think I even told Connie this or somebody this on a episodes a couple times ago that I was like randomly I have the urge to learn how to play the drums like just don't even couldn't even tell you why but just like I'm gonna learn to play the drums which is not a cheap thing to just all of a sudden be like I'm gonna just do this so (laughs) (laughs) that's funny because I've seen a couple of people online being like I've learned how to play the drums (laughs) it's going around I guess What what's funny about like how I even learned how to play the drums, it was out of necessity when I was in college is because I met somebody in an art school that I went to that no longer exists, which is funny in itself, just as a tangent. But I was like, hey, uh, yeah, I, I play guitar. He's like, oh, cool. Me too. Um, but, you know, we do you know how to play the drums? I'm like, no. He's like, do you want to try? And I said, well, sure. And we started a weird death metal band. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. And a spontaneous death metal band. I love it. it. It really was. We got to play one. No, we did play two shows and we opened for Morbid Angel, which was because we were in Tampa at the time and they, they're a local band to Tampa. And it was so strange just because like um, everyone was really into it. Uh, like everyone in the band had all the corpse paint on, but I've never been that type of person. So I was like, I had like khaki, like uh, cargo shorts and like a polo on and I was behind the drum kit and everyone was kind of like, I, 
I don't understand that guy. What's that guy doing? Where did the nerd come from? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Basically, I'm a <laughs> six foot five, 280 pound nerd. I love it. Behind a drum kit <laughs> in a polo and some khaki shorts. <laughs> okay, so you're not doing the Travis Barker with the no shirt and tattoos up to nope. your neck. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> no tattoos. Back then, I was pretty clean shaven too. It was pretty, pretty strange times. So you um, looked really clean cut in a, in a band filled with not. Yeah, yeah, very um, very not clean cut. Everyone corpse paint and just spikes. I hope and... there's a picture of that somewhere. I there has to be. I I feel like there should be there. There should be a. I mean, this would have been two thousand. So it would have, there should be something, but I, I honestly, I don't know. I All keep... right. <laughs> Listeners, find this picture for us. <laughs> oh, anyway, before we go off on more tangents, not that this has not been lovely. Um, you briefly mentioned in your pre-interview that you were homeless. So how did you end up homeless and then go from that to being a successful person both in business and personal life you know i i didn't realize that being homeless was a trauma <laughs> until in the last two years of my life going through a lot of therapy because <laughs> i would always play it off um like, oh, and... i was just homeless no big deal exactly uh, that's literally how i would do it because people would go you know oh what did you do while you're in florida i was like you know i i talk about florida as a prison sentence i was like oh i did nine years in florida uh, i almost did a full 10 years there um and people would laugh i'm like yeah you know i went to college and i was uh i lived in my car for nine months and then i couch surfed for about two years and just gloss over that whole thing because people hear that and they're like wait you you lived in your car. How, how did that happen? And I would avoid that like the plague. So you're doing the Kevin Hart. Well, Kevin Hart was, was saying to you, whoa, whoa, whoa you can't just be past that. Like yeah. you just didn't said what you just said to the other person. And you're like, what? Yeah. But like, what? You know, and then I uh, did other things and they're like, no, 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 go back to the car thing. Like what, yeah. ha what happened back, there? Back up. Hold on. And really it was a combination of just bad circumstances and bad decisions and people at, at face value will, will hear like, well, you lived in your car for nine months. That's in, that's insane. It is, but it's not like, um, it's not like how other people picture somebody being homeless. First of all, if, if you're going to be homeless, be homeless in the Tampa Bay area. You can go hang out at the beach and like you get free showers and it's kind of nice. Um, which I will still make light of, of it. And I still joke about it, but what had happened was I had graduated, uh, with my degree in graphic design and I couldn't find a job in that field. However, I did have a, a, a decent job working for AOL at the time. Oh my um, gosh. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> this was. This was literally, and people go, well, you work for AOL. I'm like, yeah, you know, literally the AOL. Um, we were. Just make uh, the annoying buzzing noise and they'll know <laughs> what you're talking about. And well, I, I would laugh constantly at trying to explain that this was a, a big 1500 seat call center that I ended up, I started as a phone rep there, which selling AOL to people. 
was horrible. Um, but I only did that for about a month or two. And then I got into their IT department, which was fun. So it was a decent job. Um, and then through circumstances with the person I was living with, uh, they decided to sell their house without telling me. Oh, um, oh my God. And then I was like, well, this wouldn't be a problem because I have a decent job, but I have, my car had just died. So I just paid cash because I had no idea how to really manage my money at, you know, well, I was like 23 at the time. I, I didn't know how to. That they, should be, they should be teaching in schools more. Oh, yeah, De definitely. That money management is so important and understanding that I don't have to pay the entire balance like i could have gotten financing even though i had student loans and and there was not great credit i could have still gotten financing on a car instead of saying well i have to take all the money out of the bank and buy a car uh so i did that and um it was like the perfect storm so i had the car which was great i had a car now this is this is fantastic and then i had no home and i was like okay, well, I have this job, so I can just put things in the storage and find an apartment. It'll only take like, in my mind, like a couple weeks, I'll figure this out. And that turned into nine months. And when I thought it was over, uh, it really wasn't because luckily, a friend that I was working with one of the managers there, uh, heard me talking about it um, during a lunch break. <laughs> and he was like, it's so did I just hear that you're living out of your car? I'm like, yeah, yeah. I just, whenever I drive, I drive down to St. Pete and I go underneath the, the overpass over by, by central Avenue. And he's like, hold on. What are you talking about? You work here. Like, how do you not have an apartment? And I was like, just bad circumstances. And I just kind of just went with it. It was just bad circumstances. And just, he's like, no, you're, you're coming home with me. Like, uh, I have an extra room, you know, it's... Oh, that was nice. Yeah. Um, I, I stayed with him and his girlfriend, who became his wife later on, uh, you know, for about, you know, about 18 months, <laughs> which was a lot longer than she wanted me to be there. And I totally sure. understand. Yeah, I and I, I love them to death. And I, I mean, I'm the godfather of one of their children. Like, so I, I'm still friends with them and, we we would joke about that later on but like yeah she despised having two toddlers basically because that's what happened when me and him got together it was oh. just, <laughs> we we were just you know it was like having two little kids in the house constantly when you have two adult men in any house yeah. that is the eventuality yes you know i i had this odd feeling when i was couch surfing as i call it i i thought well i'll figure this out but i never put a plan in action and it didn't happen overnight it didn't even happen over the following years i, I still bounced around from job to job and i didn't really get my bearing straight until i was well in my 30s and i had <laughs> moves uh, i would say in 10 years time i moved from being homeless to being on the couch to apartment to 
a whole bunch of apartments. I, I can't even keep track of it because you, you ever get those those things that say, oh, uh, could you verify the address that you used to live at? And then it gives you a list of addresses and you're like, oh, no, I don't remember. Like, I think I lived at some of these places because I've lived in so many different addresses in, in my lifetime and I just don't remember them. And it's it was just I thought it was just a normal thing in life. So I kept going on bouncing around until I had met. Um, I can't even say it when I met my my now wife. Um, I've been friends with my wife since high school. I just we decided to start dating about 13, 14 years ago. And then all of a sudden <laughs> we kind of got on track and I kind of had a mental like like a purpose like, a, OK, this is where I'm going. Uh, this, she's climbing the corporate ladder. I'm climbing the corporate ladder. Um, this is an interesting thing. Like I'm figuring out what I want to do with life and I'm figuring out where I'm going. You know, I, I, I couldn't for the life of me understand why I just didn't reach out to help from my family. Actually, I, I take that back. I understand why now, because it was a big problem with shame. <laughs> I didn't want to like say like, Hey, Guys, I'm living out of my car because I was supposed to be like the, the golden child, the, the mm -hmm. smart, the nerd, mm -hmm. the guy who the, everyone goes to for all the help because they, you know, I'm the one who can fix things. I can, I understand things. And I didn't want to go to them and say like, hey, I failed because that's what it felt like. Mm -hmm. I so, was going to, I'm glad you went there because I was going to ask him like, was your family not? Like you not willing to help you? Like yeah. ah, you made your choice. You got to figure it out. Sorry. Yeah, and and that's that's the big thing is it, it took a lot of well a lot of therapy and a lot of talking uh, about it, and especially being open and honest about it is even though they had these expectations of me because I was the golden child. Like all my brothers are uh, high school dropouts. Like my parents, they work really hard, but they, you know, my mom like had this business all her life and then it just kind of fell apart. And I was like, I had these examples in life where I'm like, man, I have to do this because if I don't do this, then I'm just continuing the trend of, of not getting through, of failing, of doing all this stuff. So there was a lot of shame associated with even talking about it to them. So when I finally did talk to them about it, which was, a few years ago, like really sat down and said like, Oh yeah, this is what happened. Um, it was a lot of re revelations for them because they had no idea. Mm -hmm. And then for me, it was also like very cathartic to say like, yeah, uh, I went through some shit <laughs> and it was um, harder than I thought it was going to be. And I was afraid to reach out because I was afraid that everyone would be like ashamed of me that I couldn't do it. Man, that shame of disappointment is is real. Yeah, it is. Oh, I think uh, I think everybody will relate to that because having to make any sort of call to your parents or just anybody that you feel believes in you, yeah, is hard. But you kind of mentioned it. You got to swallow your pride sometimes. Yeah, I, I I learned that later on in life that swallowing your pride and just asking for help man asking for help is the big one um 
Because I think that's that's what has gotten me to a place where I can talk. Well, first of all, I can talk about it with with everyone. And second of all, I can actually just go and be like, yeah, you know, I need help with this. I can't do this on my own. And or I can. But if I have your help, I can do it better. So please, like, let's do this. And I like that. I can yeah. do it, but if I ever help, I can do it better. I like that. Yeah, it's like, I, I, I think that's a big thing for me that I've learned, and that's not like a oh, I, I had this huge aha moment like 15 years ago. This is like within the last year. This has really just <laughs> happened. It's not, it's not a, um, it's not a, a, a been a lifelong, like oh yeah, I, I have this this idea now it's like okay i'm 42 years old now and i i finally am comfortable with asking for help so it it's possible yeah never too late as they always say mm -hmm. so the did that kind of tie into um your diagnosis of adhd and generalized anxiety disorder yeah um like i said I kind of gloss over a lot of things and I kind of make jokes of it and I kind of lose track of a lot of things over the years. I had no idea until I was 39, which it still doesn't seem like, oh yeah, I'm coming up on my four year anniversary of being diagnosed, which is kind of, it, it seems crazy to me, but the getting to the diagnosis was that aha moment that aha moment that people always talk about it wasn't the like for me like oh like the therapy and, and figuring out like it's okay to ask for help yeah it's great but adhd that diagnosis and the generalized anxiety disorder like those diagnoses that i got it made me stop it made me really look at myself and start researching because when i got the diagnosis my brain went, yeah, ADHD. Like, I guess, I guess that's a thing. I don't okay, know. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but then I, I, I go, okay, well, let's get some books. Let's find some information online. Let's look at medical journals. Like, I'll, I love researching. That's part of my love. My uh, hyper focus is learning new things. If you give me something new to learn, I will dive deep into it. So I dove deep, my wife dove deep, and then we both kind of sat up and looked at each other and we're like, oh man, 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 how did no one see any of these red flags? <laughs> and that was, that was, that was like that, that moment of like, wow, okay, this all makes sense now. And I didn't have that well, great. I, I wasted 39 years of my life struggling. Mm -hmm. I had the, that feeling and that thought of going, I get to live my life now. I get to really turn this around and go in the direction I need to go. And I think that was really, really important for me. Yeah. Um, and it's so different from like, what like happened to me like i've known i've had anxiety since i was a kid but it, it never was like 
officially told to me until I became an adult and went to therapy and she was like yeah mm-hmm. you've, you've got anxiety it's like for me that was a moment of like oh thank god I finally know for sure that this is what has been going on and I'm not just like well maybe it's this I don't know yeah I think what's 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 very telling too is people would always ask me well how come you you act so strange when you go into these like big social situations or uh, when we're in crowded places or, you know, if you're doing these things or if you have to go and, and do something where you have to like, uh, which it's hilarious how the phone gives me such anxiety. I hate talking on the phone, which is like I said, it's hilarious for a podcast host. And, but <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this is not the phone in yeah, all exactly fairness. no it, it's not it's just facetime yeah <laughs> but if somebody like if i see a number come through on this rectangle of doom i will <laughs> i will just i instantly i can look at my heart monitor and go oh cool it's up like it's like 100 beats a minute why i said like, because somebody's calling me mm-hmm. and to and then if somebody says, well, why don't you give that place a call real quick? I just look at them and sweat just starts coming down my brow. I'm like, uh-uh, I am not calling anyone. I can't. And I thought that was just a normal feeling. And I did a lot of work in call centers over the years. Maybe that's why. <laughs> I definitely think that's a huge factor into my uh, aversion to, to phones Especially- in general. Especially because call centers suck. Oh, Did it one time and it was only for like not even a week. And I was like, you need to hire people. This is not my job. <laughs> yeah. Call center work. Um, it, it was very anxiety inducing and it's very overwhelming. Um, mm-hmm. it, I've done a few different types of, of call center work, but I, I remember specifically there were times in my life where uh, I knew it was enough. And my last call center job, I worked for an insurance company oh, for, no. for Blue Cross Blue Shield. And, oh, God. One of the worst ones. Yeah. And I, I always try to explain people who are like, well, how bad could it be? I'm like, well, think about it. You work, your schedule when you work in a call center is very very rigid which i hate like he's like okay you can't deviate you can't be off the phones for this amount of time and it's a nightmare for anyone with adhd because mm-hmm. <laughs> you have you lose time just it doesn't take much to lose time it'll just happen but what drove me uh and gave me a severe anxiety attacks and severe depression um talking to people with the issues that they have um sometimes were terrifying to hear that a family member passed away and we were denying a claim and that would just take a toll on me mentally and Mm -hmm. then you would log on and you would see that there's 80 calls in queue and you're like i i can't there's 80 people that have been waiting for an hour already and they're just there and i'm gonna be talking for eight to ten hours today and it's 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 bringing up old anxiety i can feel that feeling of like looking at the phone in that red light see just that explanation right there totally makes sense to me and i'm not even a therapist of why you would hate talking on the phone then like yeah so there's a little insight into that (laughs) 
See, and yeah, I'm we usually have... the one. Oh, sorry, Connie. Oh, no, you can go ahead, Rita. I was just going to say, I'm usually the one on the other side because I work for a company where I have to call the insurance. Mm. But because I'm from the provider side, I'm just usually like, will you just reprocess this, please? Thank you. Cool. All right. Bye. Yeah. Th- those were always calls that I would love to get. <laughs> oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> anyway, Connie. Go for it. Oh, uh, we always have like we have a Q2, but like it's emails basically. It's dealing with quotes, so it's like it's not as bad. And like I have basically a full hour to do one quote, so I'm like, oh, that's plenty of time. But like it still gives me anxiety though when we have a lot of them, and I have coworkers that are slow as fuck. <laughs> and I'm like, you have been Don't we on, all? like one time. We were super busy. There was a ton in the queue to do. And this one woman was working for over like half a day on one request. I was like that. If it is that big of a request, there are other things that we can do to speed up the process. You should be doing that. (laughs) How is this taking you half of your day? Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, one of my favorite jobs that stemmed from a uh, a call center job was I was doing online correspondence, which I gamified and I ended up getting everyone in the department fired because I was doing it too good. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Uh, and how does that happen? You need to explain. I, <laughs> I need more detail. So how did you make it a game? <laughs> I, I basically, my, my boss was really cool about this because he goes, Hey, if you can get your quota for answering email, because if you, when you hear what, what the online correspondence was for, you're going to be like, wait, wait, what? It was for sprint long distance. And I'm not saying that this was like, oh, in the 90s, online corns. This was like 2009. So Uh-oh. there were still people out there that had long distance on their phone. Like, and they oh would. E- are, are we talking? I'm assuming we're not talking like wall phone. We're talking cell phone. No, we are definitely talking landlines. Oh. Okay. <laughs> okay. For everybody that's listening that is not. A millennial or older, there used to be phones plugged into the wall that we all talked on. That's what he's talking about. And you could get charged long distance calls if they were not in your immediate area. Yeah. Your same zip code. Okay, continue now. So (laughs) to gamify it, he goes, if you can answer, like, uh, we had certain basically quotas and, and stats that we had to hit. He's like, if you could do this, you could just you know fuck off for the rest of the day and i was like well i like fucking off so i'm <laughs> oh, gonna figure yeah. out how to do <laughs> say <laughs> less yeah <laughs> so i uh basically saw that the need of, of these emails there was like maybe six different types of emails and i was like oh i'm gonna make a, a whole bunch of canned documents so i took like half a day and wrote out really well thought out and good emails to help people reset their password to help people do these things the automated email is what you were working on macros we call them macros exactly Mm -hmm. but it was before we you know they didn't have a macro way to do it so literally just open up the word document copy paste copy paste and (laughs) What ended up happening was 
everyone like i think the average was like 10 emails uh, a day or it was some it was some really weird thing and i had gone in and my average was like 87 and it was they were everyone was like whoa you're doing this way too fast and i was like yeah but i have 100 percent accuracy and 100 percent satisfaction and you guys don't and everyone was that's hilarious everyone got so mad and then my boss was just like i'm just gonna get rid of them and then me and you are gonna run this department and we would just bang out all the emails by like 8 39 then we would go have lunch and just like we would literally just do oh, nothing no. all day and it was that's it, hilarious did you lose your job because of it too no uh we both kind of lost our job because sprint no longer carried long distance <laughs> I was going to say, this, yeah. we know where this is going. Um, yeah. Nobody has phones on the walls anymore, which is why we just had to explain it to people that are younger no, no, than us but I what they are. That they would, but I would figure that they would still have, like, emails that need to be responded to. But we I'm sure that that's just other departments. Exactly. We didn't handle that. Our our call center only handled Sprint long distance. That's hilarious. Goodbye long distance. I wonder mm -hmm. if there's anybody out there still like, man, that Stefan got me fired. <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> Wait, did they fully know that it was you? Oh yeah, because everyone could see the stats. Oh, and God. they they were so upset with them. But like, my boss was so excited just because it was less work he had to do, and it was less work I had to do. So instead of milking the work, we were just milking the fun time. Oh my gosh! Oh, absolutely, that's that's awesome on so many levels. <laughs> oh, anyway, um. How about what advice can you give to somebody who gets a diagnosis like you later on in life, 30s, 40s, whatever? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I tell this to a lot of people. Um, going and getting a diagnosis is important. Self-diagnosis was also very important because you can do that. You can get take a self-assessment and that's when light bulbs start going off. Um, but when you do get that inkling or you actually get a clinical diagnosis, like, it is imperative to learn about it. Uh, I tell people that all the time that you're not your diagnosis, but learn about what it actually oh, yeah, is. Absolutely. <laughs> it's kind of important because you can't just like, oh, cool. I'm that. All right, whatever. I'm just going to continue doing the, the hardest things ever instead of finding the way that you can actually work with your brain and yeah not unless they it. run into somebody that's like oh what's that and then they're like uh <laughs> like i don't know that's that's what the doctor told me and, like, and you didn't follow up at all you didn't ask any questions um yeah. i have to say that that would be my husband for <laughs> sure 100 percent like his mom is going to be having heart surgery and we're going to go down and take care of her and i'm like so what does your mother have like, what are they doing? It's minor heart surgery. I'm curious. I've never heard of a minor heart surgery. Just <laughs> fucking heart surgery. And he's like, uh. It's and I'm like, like, I know she told you detail. What? Uh, I don't know. You have to. Say, I I know that they're not gonna open up her chest cavity. That's why it's minor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. well, I I tell a lot of people this too, especially with. The, those that do have ADHD um, when you are dealing with things like that, because I I'm very guilty of this. Um, I always, I bring notepads and 
little notebooks with me everywhere because writing a note in my phone with my fingers doesn't work. I need to physically write it. So if I go to a doctor's appointment, like with say my parents, cause they're real, they're just old as shit. <laughs> so like, if I go with them, like, and they go, Oh yeah, well my dad has a whole bunch of stuff wrong with him. My, my mom has a whole bunch of st stuff wrong with her. And even like right now I, I'm, gearing up uh saturday morning i'm gonna be driving across country to take care of my uncle who has a myriad of things wrong with him i know what they have wrong with him because i have it all in my, <laughs> my notebook because if mm -hmm. i don't i'd be like they're old and they're going in the hospital and, and they're dying yeah um, slowly slowly but, or but fast getting, i don't know <laughs> yeah they're getting there either way they need help <laughs> yeah but like uh, i Thankfully, I, I've understood, like, my brain's not going to retain the information. It's part of, like, the severe inattentive ADHD. My working memory is complete shit. And I am fine with that. I accept that now. I don't try to, I don't beat myself up anymore that somebody will be like, oh, yeah, just go down the street and turn right. And then I look at it and I'm like, what? Do, <laughs> do what? And yeah. there's like, I just said, go down the street and turn around. I'm like, could you just write this down? I'm like, it's just two. I was like, yeah, it's two steps to instructions that I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. And they're like, that's frustrating. I'm like, yeah, you, you have no idea what it's like being inside my head. Yeah, frustrating <laughs> for you? You mean for me? Yeah. Yes. Actually, it's funny because like list-wise, I started doing more lists because of kids. Because kids and mother's memory a mother's memory once they have a child their brain is completely rewired for motherhood so you forget things all the fucking time <laughs> it's the fucking worst so now i have to like write out lists i still go to the grocery store have something on my list and forget it <laughs> and have to go back the next day i'm like what the fuck connie get it together <laughs> It was even on the list, and you still missed it and have to go back. Yeah. Yeah. I I am very guilty of that with my, because I have my to-do list. That It's a huge cornerstone of my life. And it's been that way even before my diagnosis. Like, I figured that out early on, that if I write it down on a to-do list in the morning, I might actually get it done. And I might remember it because I'll keep going back to that list. But there's been plenty of times where I'm like, all right, there's 10 things on this list that I'm picking up from the store and I'll come back with eight of them. And I'm like, yes. Ah, oh, shit. <laughs> and it was all right. Really so funny. to recap, y'all write everything down and, and learn about your diagnosis. Yes. Well, and the worst part <laughs> is, is because I have the little child that like I'll think of stuff and be like in the middle of helping Theo with whatever. And I'll be like. Oh, yeah, I should really write that down. Yep, I'm going to write that down. I'm going to remember to write that down. Never, never write it down. And then I'll remember later after I've already done or gone to the store or whatever. And I'll be like, fuck. <laughs> I was supposed to write that down and I'll still forget. See, I have those I moments where I always thought my mom was kidding. But it totally happens where you walk into a room with a purpose and you get into that room and you're like, why did I come in here? 
<laughs> oh yeah. And you have and no we idea all why you went moms in there. were crazy, and it's not. They're not crazy. Well, and it happens. My husband says it happens to him too. Well, he'll like go into a room and he's like, I don't remember why I came in here. And I'm like, Yep, mm-hmm. I had that up. That happened to me earlier. I don't know. Still don't know why I went in there. Yeah, that, that's you know, my life in a nutshell. Like I will purposely come down to my office and I'll sit down at my computer and I go. Ah, oh, shit. Why did I even do this? Like, what am I doing here? And I'm looking at my screens and I'm like looking at my, I'm like, I don't have Is my there a list. post-it note somewhere. Yeah. Like if I don't literally have these post-it notes all over my monitors, I will never remember why I am sitting at a computer. I'm like, oh, I guess I'll like play some games or watch some YouTube or something. You're like, well, I'm down here. I'll make use of something. Yeah. You know, uh, I kind of, t- I tie that all all in too, like with everything I do is so important that I remember it because of that constant, it's a constant battle of forgetting. Um, and it's, it's frustrating because obviously there's the forgetfulness is like at the, like the top of the iceberg for me. It's like, it's the one that everyone knows because they're oh, like, yeah. yeah, because it happens to everybody eventually at some point. Exactly. And they're just like, well, that's, that doesn't seem like an ADHD thing. I'm like, it's the tip of the iceberg. Oh yeah. It's the one that drives me up a wall because if I could remember things like, like a perfect example is my wife is neurotypical. You tell her something and she will go off for three or four days and come back and be able to recite every single detail of that instruction that you gave her. And like, she'll show the entire thing that she did. And I'm just like, how do you do that? (laughs) (laughs) She made you a PowerPoint presentation on you asking why milk curdles. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah. And me, I'm like, how does wine age? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I just, I'll, I'll get lost in thought and, sometimes like where my brain goes i try to explain it and i even tried to explain in my book i tried to explain it too but it's really hard to explain the connections my brain makes to get to the thing i might blurt out or the story i tell or even just how i might remember something Mm -hmm. and it happens all the time but what i what i tell people is don't verbally tell me if you want me to remember something, don't verbally tell it to me. Don't do it while I'm driving because I just, that's the worst time. And my, my wife understands now because if she goes, Oh, we should go run to that store and pick up the thing. And I'm just like, and I'm like, please, no, I already forgot that. Could you just text that to me, text it to me right now? Because what will happen is I'll get out of the car and I'll look at my phone and go, Oh yeah, we should go. Oh yeah, that's where we are. Like, it doesn't even like connect. Like, she's like, "Yeah, that's what I was talking about in the car." I'm like, "Oh, now I understand. Now, now I'm starting to understand." <laughs> so, with your ADHD, because my husband has it too, he will start the dishes right, and then end up 
like cleaning some random part of the kitchen because he was putting away a dish mm. and he saw some X, Y, or Z. And yes. here he is now down the rabbit hole of cleaning our stove or like something like that. And the dishes are still in the dishwasher. Yes. Does that happen to you? Yes. Um, th this is a, a wonderful, uh, a wonderful thing that I call shiny object syndrome. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah that's this, him. It's basically, it's so strange too, because I've done a lot of work with myself it just mental gymnastics and, and to to help ritualize and just kind of make a habit of everything i do and there's still times where this shiny object syndrome pops up because with our brains they're dopamine starved so if we see something even if it's not something that you would say oh that's fun like cleaning out a junk drawer However, if that will give you more dopamine than putting away the dishes. So your brain's just going to auto switch to that task and yep. you just, it will happen. And it happens every time. Like when I go to redo my office and, and I, I do it like every few months because I'm a psycho, I guess, <laughs> but I'll go through <laughs> and start taking everything out of drawers and putting everything in. I, I get to a certain point and then I'll find something. And that one thing will take me on a four or five hour tangent. And before you know it, I'm like out in the garage and I'm sweeping something. And my wife will be like, I thought you were doing your office. Like I thought you were reorganizing. Mm -hmm. I was like, I was, but then I found this pen and I remembered, man, this pen was really cool. The last time I had it, I had it in that container that I had in the car, which wasn't in the car because I checked and then I remembered I did this whole thing where I reorganized the garage and so I went into the garage but then I saw there was some stuff on the floor and then I started yeah. sweeping it up and it's and, literally uh, my life you're describing right now yeah. <laughs> and what's great and what's horrible is it's great because you know life is an adventure always for us <laughs> But it's horrible yes. because all these things get started and they never get completed. It eventually, like, or at least my husband is lucky enough that I follow him around and then complete what he would like. I get mad at him because I'm like, why are all the dishes always? He gets them out. He can get them on top of the counter, but get them put away. No. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, you're lucky that I'm following you around and then putting the rest of the dishes away. He's like, yeah, but I did do the dishes because I took out the dishes and I put the dirty dishes in the dishwasher. See? So therefore, task complete. <laughs> See, and I'm the opposite. Or like, if I misplace my keys, I will not stop looking for my keys until I find my keys. <laughs> Like, kitchen ripped apart, couch ripped apart, car ripped apart. Like, I am not going to go to sleep until I find the keys. Yeah. <laughs> like, hyper-focus. I have yeah. to know what happened to the keys. What's what's strange for me is... They were in your pocket the whole time. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> well, what, what, uh, what happens a lot for me is is object blindness, which is really frustrating because... When it happens, like Isn't I'll put that men period. Yeah, no, it's definitely a big guy thing. Uh, because Just kidding, I know... guys, we love you. <laughs> well, I know my wife all the time. I'd be like, "Hey, could you get that thing right there?" And I look, and I'm like, 
And I keep what doing thing? that. I keep looking at the, the table and then I look yeah. back at her and I look at the table again. I'm like, what, what do you, what, what do you need? And she's like, it's right there next to the cup. And I'm like, what is, what's, what's next to the cup? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, no, that's oh. definitely a guy thing. Yeah. It's definitely. Both. <laughs> it's a, it's definitely all the things. Um, oh my gosh. Wait, it's again, it's where are the keys? Where'd you put my keys? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I make a, my, my life in the kitchen especially is all based on routine and that wasn't an overnight thing for me because I, I still have parts where I fumble, but I, when I wake up, I have to empty the dishwasher. It's almost like, it's not a compulsion. I'm trying to train my husband to do that. I'm like, every night I remind him, like in the morning you have to wake up and do the dishes. Yes. It is your chore to do it in the morning before you leave. Yeah. So I literally, I have this pattern that I have created that used to not be there. It would it started out very simple with like, oh, get up, brush your teeth, which for people with ADHD, severe ADHD, know that sometimes you forget to do that. And I somehow have worked it into like, get up, brush your teeth, take a shower, get the pugs ready because I'm a pug dad. Uh, so I'll get them ready, take them outside, feed them, empty the dishwasher, make a cup of coffee, write my list. That's my routine every single hey, day that's a pretty good routine that's a good routine it took well i've had a pug now she's gonna be eight years old so it took eight years <laughs> to get to that point um, so a task a year that was about eight things <laughs> yeah it ba- basically turns out to be be that but i also am gonna say just because i have these things that are routine it's not always it's not always gonna happen I was going to say, it's not a guarantee. Yeah. Um, Sometimes I feel off when I don't do certain steps and I kind of catch myself and go, what did I miss? What did I miss? And I just will go back. And sometimes I just forget and I go on throughout the day. But I'm I'm like 80% of the time I get it. I get it. Hey, that's good. 80% is good. The only thing I would not be able to ever forget would be coffee. I would be like, oh, oh yeah, it was coffee. Oh, yeah, I have a major headache. Oh, yeah, it's definitely coffee (laughs) that I am missing. Yeah, coffee is, you know, people go, well, it's coffee is great. I'm like, yeah, I I love it. And caffeine has no actual effect on me. That's part, in due part of with the ADHD. Um, It affects your nervous system still, but it doesn't get me alert or wake me up it just you know i can have a double espresso and go right to sleep however if i have too much caffeine i get a migraine so i love how that's my, fun my brain is wired once i hit a, a certain threshold which i didn't understand that it was like a migraine all my life like i didn't understand what was bringing it on until I was like, man, I, I'm, I was telling people like this weird feeling and like this odd feeling behind my eye. And you're like, you're having like an, an ocular migraine, like you're having light sensitivity, smell sensitivity, all this stuff, and like the whole aura of a migraine. And then they gave me ex- Excedrin, which has caffeine and it only made it worse. Oh no. <laughs> oh my God. 
So, uh, but I'm, I'm always careful with my caffeine intake, but I have to have coffee in the morning because it's mm-hmm. part of the routine. Well, it's my yeah. kind of routine because it has coffee in it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I feel like this is kind of just important just to mention. So, um, we all understand what neurodivergent means. And I think the, the more common term now people are using as like a, a friendlier a fun way to say it is neural spicy. Um, so just for those who don't know, can you tell us what neurodivergent is and then what inspired you to not only write a book related to it, but start a podcast? Yeah, I, I love this is because everyone will ask me this question because they'll see the title of the book tools for navigating neurodivergence. I'm like, yeah, I have a neurodivergent mind. They're like, that sounds like it's terminal. I feel bad for you. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) it is terminal. It is. There's no (laughs) cure. I'm sorry. But then I go, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for making me sound like I'm going to die. Awesome. But then I tell them, I'm like, listen, it's not a medical, it's not even a medical term. And they're like, wait, what is it? And they're like, it is the umbrella term because there's this whole neurodiverse, like, range of neurological disorders, which people hate the word disorder, but that's what they are. Our brains are wired differently, it's they're out of order. So, <laughs> out of I, order. I was just like thinking of like an out of order sign on a bathroom. Yeah, <laughs> exactly we're all just we're all just out of order guys they're just there's a little out of order in in, inside of certain areas of our brain and it could be because people always know the big ones people know like autism you know asd and they know adhd and they might know ocd and then you start getting into all the fun ones that people are like wait that that's in it too i'm like yeah you you know dyslexia dyspraxia dyscalculia you hate that one the one that i actually have a small uh very small variation of it's dyscalculia which is a strange thing that i lucked out to have uh where numbers don't really have meaning um i i actually talked to somebody who who has it severely and numbers just they're just like squiggles for me numbers were squiggles for me however through the pattern recognition superpower through adhd i figured out that squiggles make other squiggles and those squiggles have meaning as well i was like oh so math was really hard growing up for me oh my god i I bet bet. and um it, it was i mean it's still hard but that's why they have the internet and calculators so yes. <laughs> it makes life easier but you can go down the list there's uh, nearly like it feels like there's an infinite different types of like disorders and and different neurological conditions that fall under that umbrella so when i ever whenever somebody asks me i'm like it is just like this huge conglomerate of neurological disorders that's what it is Mm -hmm. now what inspired me to write a book that was a strange thing because I, I think I even mentioned like the first few lines of the book. I never set out to write a book. I, I was, you know, I'm it's a photographer. ADHD. Yeah. Popping on up again. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm a photographer. I do all these things. Uh, I'm creative. I, I like creative writing, but I don't 
generally write anything about myself, let alone actual, like really personal, vulnerable things. And I had one night where I just, I couldn't sleep. So I did what I call a brain dump, which if anyone goes into my Google docs, they would look and be horrified at the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of random pages with no title that are just filled with junk. Like it could be two or three paragraphs of just like a weird thought, or it might be a few pages. But what happened that night is I had a brain dump of about 25 unspaced, unformatted pages of just, I had problems. This is what I did to, to solve them. This is how I got through it. And it was just going on and on all throughout like key points in my life. I'm like, well, how did I figure out how to get organized? How did I figure out how to do this? How did I get a job like in radio? How did I figure out I wanted to be a photographer? How, just kept firing all these questions off what I did, how I got through it and how I thrived in it. And it ended up being a lot of information. Uh, and I didn't even use all of it for that book. I'm going to write more eventually um, whenever I get to that. But I, I kept putting all this information out there. And I, I talked to my business coach, who was my business coach for photography. <laughs> but she was an author. And she goes, wait a second, just time out. First of all, where was this, like this writing, like you never talked about this. You never told me. I was like, well, cause that's just something I do. And she, she started looking over and she's like, you have so much information here. This is basically enough for multiple books, but just take a few pieces. And what you're going to do is you're going to tell people how you did this, like how you figured out these mental tools, these physical tools and these social tools and each little tool that you have underneath there, like what three mental tools did you use? And for me, it was like mindfulness, meditation, breath work, things that people go, yeah, that's what everyone says. I'm like, but I did a lot of trial and error. And that's what the book is about. It's like, yeah, this, I couldn't figure it out. Like I didn't learn overnight. I didn't have somebody said, learn how to meditate. And then I started meditating instantly. No, it took me years, years to figure out how to do it for me. And but when I figured it out, that's when I realized when I told somebody else how to do it, the way I did it, there were another fellow person with ADHD. They're like, I've never tried it that way. Let me, let me approach it like that. And then all of a sudden it started working for them. I'm like, okay, I'm on to something here. And that's where the core of that, the book really took off. I'm like, okay, this, this is how I did it. It might work for you. It might not, but this is what worked for me. And this is how I failed. And this is how I succeeded. And how it even turned into a podcast. Once again, I had a podcast already. And the podcast was about passion projects, which was hilarious because <laughs> I started realizing that everyone that I talked to and interviewed, because I'm, I'm very, I'm lucky. I have a lot of friends that are in different industries that have done amazing things. And I started talking to all these really creative people. I'm like, well, how'd you get into filmmaking? How did you, 
like my, my high school friend that I was in all the art classes with ended up winning an Oscar. I was like, well, how did you do that? And we're talking, talking, talking. My f- best friend who's a drummer, multiple bands, artists, other photographers. And it wasn't until I released the book that I, I was like, man, you know, my podcast has been on hiatus for a little. And I started going through my guest list. I'm like, all these people have ADHD. All of them. Every single one of them. <laughs> every single one. I'm like, I know these guys do because they've told me this guy has OCD. And I'm like, well, I, I'm just going to rebrand this whole thing. And I did. And I, I, I was like at the time, maybe like 25, 26 episodes in, and I said, let's flip it. We're just going to, we're going to refocus this and we're going to talk to people that are navigating their neurodivergence, which is always a mouthful to say for me for some reason. (laughs) So that's, that's really how it all tied together. And I I started slowly and I started asking people like, Hey, are you open to talk about it? Like, cause it's a lot to talk about, you know, your struggles and, before I knew it, I had a lot of people kind of lining up and be like, yeah, I want to tell my story. And then for me, it was like, cool, I get to connect with people and I don't have to go out in public. And it makes me kind of happy. <laughs> You're like, ah, even better. <laughs> and we have to have the same conversation with people because obviously we're asking very sensitive subjects as well. Like, hey, are you, are you really willing to talk about this? And if not, that's okay. Yeah. That's what yeah. we do here. The only problem is if, is when a couple of people had said, yeah, I'm willing to talk about it. And then you ask them questions and they're like, I'm going to give you the bare bones. <laughs> Absolutely nothing good. I'm just going to basically restate what you said to me. Yeah, I was emotionally abused. The end. That's when the problem comes in. Although it hasn't been that bad, but a couple of times we've had people like, yeah, I'm willing to share my story. I don't really want to share my story. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it happens though. It really does, it does happen. A lot of people are afraid to talk about it because once they realize they're like, wait, I, you, I have to talk to a stranger. And I think even for, for me, it was strange at first to talk about it. But then I had that realization, like I put all this in a book and it's like, it's, if. I know uh, some of my friends and family have read the book and that's fine. They understand me a little better. They know what's going on, but I I've had people that I don't know reach out to me and say like, thanks. I feel seen. I'm like, great. They just read the, the whole thing about me not being able to do. I'm like, wow, I really don't have to worry about anything anymore when it comes <laughs> to speaking now. No, nope. It's out there. I mean, yeah. I, it's, it's a good feeling. No, that that is a good feeling. Um, that's actually something I want to do at some point. Talk about getting to things at some point. Um, Another podcast, because if so, not me. No, <laughs> I get asked all the time, like you're on your own, how I handle being a military wife and having hand, like having anxiety, because like they really do not go together. And I'm like, I don't know, honestly. I just kind of do it. <laughs> but one day I'll have a book to write. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I think that's, um, that's something that I'm coming to grips with, with everything else. My next book that I have outlined, but I haven't, I haven't actually started writing 
and is more my my personal journey of the strange world of leading up to my diagnosis being diagnosed being medicated and then coming off of my medication which i've been off of all the the stimulants now for almost a year and it's been very strange and i don't recommend it for everyone um mm -hmm. you have to have all the tools in place to be able to handle when you have problems with like emotional dysregulation and you know uh, rejection sensitive dysphoria and all these fun caveats of adhd like it's going to be a really personal like journey that um i really i want to tell and it's very strange and there's a lot of like it's a lot of strange woo woo spiritual stuff and there's a lot of real scientific stuff i go into and it's just it's a lot and i'm like i think i'm ready to actually write about it but it is like that's like the the gut check for me yeah because i can we, feel that resistance we like the woo woo stuff here um we've had a tarot card reader that's given us the woo woo actually really um, well, I'm a photographer. I went to high school with her, but she gave us a bunch of woo-woo. So we we like the woo-woo here. <laughs> yeah, I, basically, it's no one ever really sees it because they, whenever they see any video for me, they always see me and like I just have a basic blank background. But if I just took the camera and turned it to the side, all of a sudden you see like, oh, there's like an altar with all my candles and incense and I have all this like sacred geometry stuff. I have all my tarot cards and my oracle cards and a whole yes. bunch of stuff all over the place. Yeah, I, I'm really I'm deep into that. So <laughs> well, I love it. When you write your second book and you want to talk about on. the woo woo, you have to come back. Oh, yes. I, I definitely will. I definitely will. Cause that's, that's going to be a, that's going to be a deep conversation. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. Those are our favorite. Uh, <laughs> I think one of our like last big questions, cause I know you're super like passionate about it. Not that you're not passionate about all the other things you do are your pugs mm -hmm. and how they played a part into you becoming a published photographer. Yeah. Um, cause in my mind right now, you just took really cool pictures of your pugs and that's how it happened. But I'm sure there's way more to it than that. Oh, ooh, funny pictures of the pugs. Also, Rihanna, I have not asked a single question. Thank you for just apparently <laughs> asking all the fucking questions. Well, does it help that I can't see you? So it's making it really difficult for me to like navigate when I can't see you. <laughs> it's okay. No, I don't know what the hell happened. It just, it wouldn't let me join with the camera at all. I even tried to join on my phone. It still wouldn't let me. But that's neither here nor there. Let's talk about the pugs. So, that, I, I, lo I love technology. Um, so, <laughs> my, love. Uh, yes. <laughs> my, my pugs, you know, Philomena is... Oh my it god, her my... name is Philomena. I love yes. it. Uh, that was my my first pug. Um and we got her when she was a puppy. Uh she was just it was in 2016. And I had already just started as a photographer who didn't know what he was doing. I love um it. as all photographers start. Well, yeah. I and I always kind of joke about it because I, I tell people that. I, I finally know what I want to be when I grow up. And it was when I was 36, I figured out I wanted to be a photographer. And I basically went ahead and did all these commercial jobs. And I was getting so frustrated that I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, I, 
I know I need to do photography, but I am, I, I don't like this. Like what's going on. And when we got our puppy, she was tiny and adorable and everyone was loving it. My wife and I were like, we love all these pug accounts. Let's create a Instagram account for this pug. I'm going to, we'll just put up some photos of her and, you know, it'll, it'll be fun. And I was like, let's, let's go for it. So it started very, very simple. Like I would just take photos of her, literally not trying to do anything special, just taking photos of her. Like, look, she's sitting in the yard. Look, she's sitting. Look, she's sleeping. Like, <laughs> really, there was nothing yes. to it. Look at her toe beans. Yeah, it's just, mm -hmm. just being, you know, okay, I have a camera and I'm taking photos of her. And what progressed really fast was how much people love the photos I was taking of her. So her account, you know, as a little puppy, she, like all of a sudden had a hundred followers and then 400 followers. And then we hit a thousand followers. Like this is, this is pretty crazy. And then she had a, uh, she had an accident when she was one and left her paralyzed. And oh, no. what's amazing about dogs in, in general is that they have the most nonchalant, <laughs> like reaction to being paralyzed so much so that um she healed from it uh mostly she has a lot of nerve damage and we had um kind of documented her recovery uh, going through physical therapy and then finally finding this uh, place because back then we were in new jersey and they were in like rural pennsylvania they were called my pets brace and they could make custom like orthotic braces for pets and people love this journey and people were just going crazy about it. And I remember taking photos, just continuing down this path. And I started realizing that, Hey, people love these pet photos. Maybe I should try to do like pet photography, but I didn't know how to really get into that until we moved to Georgia. And we started meeting up with other pug people that knew our pug. And I think that's when the ball started rolling to the point where I was being sought for the photos that I was doing of my pug because I had developed the style to do, I, I, I call it the pug headshot because I was working with pugs to photograph them as if they were people doing like professional headshots. And so yeah. they were really close up. It was really like very, like a very nice portrait. And uh, I had been selected to be the event photographer for the Vegas pug party, which was <laughs> that's adorable. <laughs> it was super fun. And just imagine about 120 pugs running around a casino in Las Vegas. That's a uh, lot of pugs. Freaking hilarious. Confusing the hell out of a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like my kind of party. <laughs> so, while we were in Vegas, I made sure that we took uh, Philomena 
around to places that were kind of cool and there was there's a place right outside of vegas called seven magic mountain and it's just this rock formation art installation that somebody put out in the desert and it's really cool it's it's kind of like neat and it's colorful and we brought her out and by now everyone i mean she this would have been in 2019 she already had like maybe like 20 30,000 followers like she has a following and i was like this is going to be great she wears a whole bunch of clothes let's get a really nice like tutu for her and we'll take a photo of her out in the desert and um i took it and i was like yeah this is this is going to be the shot like i don't know it's going to be good in the calendar it's it's just one of those shots and when i had posted it i wasn't thinking much of it um I was like, this is, this is a good shot. And then I had a uh, local magazine here in Atlanta, the Atlanta Pet Life magazine, which I was like, okay, that's a thing here, uh, which <laughs> is very strange, but they have a huge, you know, readership, you know, like a little over a million people read it. And I was like, this is kind of cool. And then they were like, we want to talk to you about Philomena and your photography. And I was like, wait, what? Like, yeah, we want to focus on you. I thought at first it was like some scam. Joke. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. And then they're like, okay, well, take uh, what shots do you want to use? Because we really want to use this one that you did in the desert. And I was like, well, I have like tens of thousands of shots of Philomena. (laughs) So I I gave them a few and they're like, well, all right, well, we're going to, we want to add a few more questions for you. Um we'll do a two page spread. And I'm like, wait, you're publishing all of my photos of my dog in your magazine. You're like, well, yeah. I'm like, I don't know what to think about this. right now. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, wait a minute. And Are you sure. Yeah. And it, from there, it started to snowball. Like all of a sudden Atlanta pug people started reaching out to me to get portraits done you're like, oh, we saw Philomena's thing, and we love Philomena. We didn't know you were local to the Atlanta area. So uh, I'm like, oh, okay, this is, and it still doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> I've had, I've been in a few different magazines. I've been on a few different online publications. I've had people from all over the world reach out to try to, like, book me, which I, I I decline a lot of them because I, I But you said I, yes to us. Oh, we're special. <laughs> well you Well that's because we didn't ask for Philomena, that's why. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well even if you did, like well, Philomena she, wouldn't be really a great podcast yeah. guest. I'm just she's uh, down there with her sister oh, right now. Look so at the baby. Yeah. So yeah, we we adopted Penelope, um, the our black pug about peas, uh, pea, the peas. Yeah, got to do, got to stay. Phil and Penny. Everyone knows Phil and Penny. Which, by the by, I looked up their Instagram while you were talking. Um, eighty thousand followers. They're cooler than I am. I mean, what the hell? <laughs> Isn't that the worst when the pets are cooler than us? I well, don't blame them. Who doesn't like a good animal? Come on now. Same. It's it's that is actually a very perfect um like and they're wearing curls yes oh of course but i i I always kind of laugh is people go how come your photography account like only has like a thousand followers i'm like because i'm not my dogs 
yeah. My dogs are cute. Yeah. What it, can I say? It's um it it's it's one of those things that have led me to a place where I found what I love in photography and I Puppies. work with pets. Pets it's like that's if I do book clients, it's generally for pet photography. But then it also freed me up to like explore avenues of photography that I really love, like uh, long exposure, nighttime photography, stuff like that. But it's all because of Philomena that I was able to really pursue that photography, like life. Oh, look at her in a little Aww. brace in her crown. Yes. Everyone, everyone. It's, um, you know, she's also a really big inspiration for a lot of people, which she's so cute. I was really surprised about that. Um, I think that was the first time I've ever been emotionally like overwhelmed by some messages when they were watching her go through physical therapy and people that had like almost like similar injuries or that were disabled were saying like, you know, she's, she's giving me the courage to get up and and go to physical therapy today or to try to do something today. And I was like, well, uh, I'm crying. This is great. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks Um, for that. I wish Philomena could say thank you, but yeah. Well, if I held her up to the microphone, everyone would be able to hear her because she is a very loud, snorty, snorty pug. And uh, before we go, I could probably do that for you. (laughs) My father-in-law has one. um, And I always crack up because he'll come lay by me when we go over for holidays or whatever. And he sounds like a freight train when he falls asleep. Just snoring like no tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) My husband and... Uh, brother-in-law and mother-in-law they all had like a, a pug mix ollie snored like a freight train yeah yeah super cute yeah she, she's uh... okay is my father-in-law pulling my leg or is this true or not he says that when pugs are tired their tails go straight is that uh, true it depends um we call it serious tail oh um, okay yeah okay. because it can be it can be when they're tired but also if they're really serious and they're really concentrating, like, cause if we give Philomena like a bone to chew on that, she's really paying attention to her tail will unfurl and like, like go straight down. And everyone's like, is she like, what's she doing? I'm like, she's concentrating. So That's she's like, awesome. she's putting every ounce of fiber of her being into chewing that bone. The tail cannot That's be curled un- for this. Yeah. So <laughs> it uncurls when she's chewing a bone. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so my father-in-law wasn't totally fitting. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, Stefan, we're going to wrap this baby up. You got anything else to impart on our lovely listeners? You know, I I always tell this to to everyone. I mean, it's it's kind of like my motto, and it's something that I, I mention in my podcast, like at the end all the time. But I always want people to know that they are not alone in their struggles. Um, if it's ADHD, if it's OCD, even if it's just like, if, if it's just depression, what am I talking? anything, you're not alone. Like the, you, if you just reach out to a friend, you reach out to a, an online group, you reach out to a community, you're going to find other people that are going through it too. 
And that's always like my big, my big message for everyone is that you're not alone. I love it. And if you so, are, get a pug. Yes. Yeah. You'll <laughs> never post, be alone with a pug. And and post the photos. And then yes. maybe, just maybe, you'll be as famous as Philomena. Yeah. Maybe you'll have brand deals. In... I almost did that, too. It's, I almost did the same thing for my dog, Flynn. And then, like, I was in the right I was just about to finish college and I was like, I don't have time for this. So I stopped posting and I'm like, I should have fucking kept posting because yeah. he's an adorable dog, but just not as cute. I, no, you know, I, as cute, but still in the last year or two, we haven't been posting as much and we still get sponsorship deals too, just because of our followership. But there was a time where, I mean, we were working with like Starbucks and wag and all these big companies and that's actually, so cool. It was fun, but then I was like, this, I don't think this is what we want to do. So we work with like smaller mom and pop places that love it, like or have like a product that we actually use. Like our friend, yeah. who, not just going to sling shit that you don't like. Exactly. Our our friend who designed a, a huge, um, uh, it's like a, a special feeding tray for flat faced dogs, the fluff trough. Like she oh designed God, it. That's adorable. She designed it, uh, you know, when we first met her at the first pug party, we were like, hey, Deborah, this is really cool. Like, yeah. And we became friends. And I was like, yeah, we'll totally, we'll, you know, blow it up on social media. And here we are, you know, all these years later. Now it's like in 140 countries. And she's like, the That's amount so cool. that she has sold is astronomical. I'm like, That's this? amazing that's the important thing is you're doing we're helping people and then they're helping others with what yeah. they do so that's amazing love it. so guys this is how to deal and shake it's real we'll see you all next episode <laughs>